Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and I am so grateful that you take the time to join us each week and get us in your earbuds while you're at the gym or in the car. It is a great privilege to be with you and take this time together. We had a great show last week, and I'm telling you, we got a cool lineup this week. Of course, my great friend Kenny Polcari is going to start talking about stocks, and boy, did he nail it today. I have to tell you what Kenny predicted for today, uh, and I hate giving him credit. You'll, you'll hear me in a minute. I just hate giving him credit, but he just absolutely nailed it. What Kenny said was going to happen, happened, and we really need to hear what Kenny thinks next. And of course, Matt Leffingwell, the great Matt Leffingwell for our, for our uh, segment on politics. So much going on in Washington, and we pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal. So, so this is a big deal, what's going on in Capitol Hill. We've got uh, Secretary Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, over in North Korea. We're going to be talking with him about that, with uh, uh, Leffingwell about that. Uh, and then uh, segment three. We have a fabulous guest who manages and has managed for a number of years a microcap fund, and not only a microcap fund, but an international microcap fund. And if you manage microcaps, most of those companies are going to be domestic, which means they're going to be based in the U.S., which means that they really benefited from the tax cut. Well, his numbers are surging. And we're going to talk about why anybody would invest in these little teeny companies and how all of that works. So uh, that's going to be terrific. But as we get started here on the forecast, remember that we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And remember, as always, emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you're feeling fearful or ebullient, you're probably in danger. Get yourself centered uh, and uh, take a walk around the block, but don't get emotional. Now, Kenny Polcari is head of... Uh, uh, is managing director, head of floor operations for O'Neill Securities on the New York Stock Exchange. He's been on the New York Stock Exchange for well over 30 years. He knows the ins and outs. <laughs> I, I, I didn't say you were old. I, I just said no, you've no. been there. Huh? <laughs> well, no, you didn't. You're right. Well, yet, you, you I, have not yet. I have not yet no. said that he's old. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I mean, that, that, that um, he and Khrushchev were, were childhood friends. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I didn't say, uh, because that would make him sound old. Um, okay. So Kenny and I this week, welcome Kenny. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. That was a, that was a fun uh, little trip to Dallas with you. We did. I thought, I, I think it was not only educational, but entertaining. And, uh, you know, it was a great, uh, great production. Certainly all your hard work pays off in the way you present does very well. And I think the, the, uh, the audience really enjoyed it. Well, we present it's a, it's a dog and pony show. Yeah. Uh, Kenny and I haven't decided which of us is the dog and which of us is the pony. Um, it kind of is a little back and forth argument. But uh, we, uh, they did call me afterwards and said, uh, Kenny, that we had knocked it out of the park and that the average score was a 12 out of 10. Uh, and I said, well, last year I got, you know, a, a 6 out of 30 when I was there by myself. So most of that's book art. Now, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. So the stock market uh, was up today, and it was up pretty well. I mean, 182 points. We kind of rocked. And the, and the 10-year Treasury uh, was still hanging right around uh, 3%, uh, just slightly over on the close. But here's, here's the line from Kenny Poe. If you don't get Kenny's note every day, I think you're missing out. Kenny's last paragraph says, look for the S&P to bust out today and then challenge 2705. 
He said, gave us some warnings that for some reason it fell through, but he said, I think it's going up today. Kenny, why today, uh, after all days, after the president pulled out of Iran and the Iran nuclear deal yesterday, why did, why did you, why were you feeling so positive? You know what? It was just, I had, it's about the the feeling in your gut, right? It's just, is about how you, how you just feel about it. Listen, I've been there for 38 years. I might as well say it. And uh, right at the thick of it. And I just had this, this sense thing. Now, look, we've been, if you've noticed, and we talked about this last week, if you notice on the chart how we've been, you know, we've been in this downtrending pattern. We've been, the highs have been testing resistance and keep moving lower, and we've failed every time. But yesterday, yesterday, yesterday we, we pierced up and through for only a second and closed right underneath that trend line. And then this morning when I got up and I saw what had happened overnight, I saw the reaction to or, or lack of reaction to uh, the U.S. pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal and watched how markets around the world had traded overnight. Futures were up this morning big when I walked in at 6 o'clock in the morning down on the floor. Futures were already up 11 points. And the sense was that the news or the, or the, or the, the news that we, were pu- that we had pulled out was really old news. We've been talking about it for a long time. He just made it official. And yet the market and investors were now ignoring that. Because remember what we talked about. Geopolitical noise creates opportunity and maybe it creates some short-term volatility. But in the long run, it, it, like you say, it's about the fundamentals that price stocks. And so in the end, uh, this morning when I got up, I just had this feeling they were taking it today. It was going to go up and through that trend line. It's been, it's been trying and trying. And today it just felt like it. In fact, it went up and through 2677, which was, which was the, the short-term trend line. And then 2705 represents the last resistance point. And today we just kissed it. We, I think we had a 2702 today uh, on the S&P. It backed off a little bit and closed just at 2796 uh, uh, today, right? And so... Um, 2697 today is where we close. So, okay, so we went up. We got to this critical resistance. So we're going to go through this tomorrow. What are the the tea leaves? I mean, how are the uh, bones lining up here today? Uh, Is the left knee ache or the right knee ache? And tell me what that means for tomorrow's markets. I, uh, my sense is I think we are going to, we're going to pierce it tomorrow. I think the market is going to go higher yet again tomorrow. I think it's going to test 2705. And here's what you have to understand. If we break through 2705 tomorrow, that means we've broken the downtrend line, right, which is positive. Yes, yes. We've broken now the last sense of resistance, which is positive. And then there's nothing above us until we get to 2800. So the market will make a very swift move. If we break through 2705, the market will make a very swift move. And why? Because the algorithms will kick in. The fact that we've we've broken through those resistance points will send the message to the algorithm that now technically we've broken through that's a positive thing and they'll kick in big the sell side algorithms will pull back they'll raise their you know all right all right okay i got i got no 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 okay you're you're making me nuts now my eyes are swimming it's going higher i got that it goes through 2705 it's going higher after that i don't need to know anymore how long is it going to keep going up but we go after after that we've got some room to go up to the upside this changes i mean i you know i was on cnbc last friday 
uh, where and I suggested that uh, it, it was in the hour long show. And I suggested that the, this Buffett news and what I saw in the markets, I had a bit of a feeling there, too. I said, you know, it feels to me like the animal spirits on Wall Street have shifted and that right. uh, buyers are back in because Buffett told him he'd been buying stocks in the first quarter. Right. And it wasn't just Apple. He was buying stocks. And he also said in his annual meeting that it would take a nanosecond for him to decide not to buy a bond, but rather buy a stock. He would, wouldn't think right. for a second about buying a stock over a bond at these levels. So when Buffett comes right. out and tells everybody it's OK, I think investors started to feel better. So it goes well, higher think, from I here, Kenny. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, and I think if we if we break out, I think twenty eight hundred is very much a reality. And and remember, it can happen fairly quickly today. Kenny and I, uh, of all of the things we when we when we did uh, our little sojourn down to Dallas this week uh, to speak at the Matheson Financial Conference, I, I, they, they had. I don't know how many hundred people. There were a lot of people there. Uh, if the president uh, the president would tell you, I think there were probably 100,000 people there if he had, <laughs> if he had spoken at that conference. Uh, it was something almost 100,000. The best part was probably going to the hard eight uh, Sunday night. That was outstanding, that was. Was that was good? Kenny, tell uh, okay, but okay, we're going to take a stop from the market. You got to tell everybody what the hard eight was like. This is a barbecue so, place just outside of Dallas, best barbecue place I've ever been to in the world. Kenny, tell them what it's, it's like a, when you walk in. It, so it's a it's it's a it's what you would imagine when you think of a Texas barbecue, right? It's a it's a big building when you pull up and you can you can see the smoke billowing up from the from the smokers and from the grills, and and the, when you get out of the car, you get hit with. The smell of you know of, of of barbecued food it's outstanding and the line went out the door and you get in line and you you know they got everything they got different cuts of steaks they got pork they got sausages they got chicken uh, they've got brisket and uh, you go through the line very interesting and you order by the pound right so if you want half a pound of brisket or you want a pound of a pound of sausage or you want a ribeye whatever it is that's how you order it and then. Uh, and then you get you know the choice of all the typical barbecue sides that you would that you could imagine would be in Texas, and then you belly on up to the bar, you grab yourself a cold beer, and you sit down at this uh, it's indoor or outdoor seating, but there are these big uh, picnic like tables. You just find a seat, and you sit, and I have to tell you, the the brisket was to die for. <laughs> Kenny, have you, ladies and gentlemen, have you heard Kenny get that excited about anything going on in the stock market yet, Boris? Have you never? Never, never, never heard him no, get that. No, he's very excited. But I would say to you, have you ever been to Moscow for barbecue? Do they have no, barbecue I mean, in best Moscow? Best barbecue in all of Europe, yes. In all of Europe. Uh, does, does President Putin say so? Well, it's his place, so yes. So he owns it. Perfect. Uh, so uh, they, they, they serve this barbecue, by the way. They give you a plastic tray. They put a piece of butcher paper on it, and they just slop, right. I mean, they just slop it on. I mean, not having been to prison, uh, I don't really have the, the firsthand experience. Uh, but, but, yeah, if you can just picture the piles, the various piles, of, and it is so delicious. God, it was good. And, and I, and I got to say, I think the other thing is you could tell by the line out the door. And oh, yeah. I got there just in time because uh, honestly five minutes after we got there the line was around out the door and around the corner it was unbelievable absolutely true so uh, the heart yeah. eight uh, 
in Dallas. Uh, add it to your list uh, for you've got to go to spots uh, for 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 barbecue uh, and the whole Texas experience. Okay, Kenny. So uh, we are through this. We are out of time of our segment because we spent so damn much time talking about the heartache and being down in Texas. <laughs> what do we expect this week? Because we're going to move right along here. What are you thinking here? What are we going to be talking about next week, Kenny? How market's going to be higher? How much volatility? Tell us. I, I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of volatility. I do think the market is going to be higher by next week because uh, I, I think what's become very apparent is that um, the market's no longer afraid of this Iranian deal. We went through it. We see it. Okay, we're going to move forward. And it's once again focusing on the fundamentals, which have been excellent, right? Yep, yep. are not running out of control. We're getting comfortable with 3%. So I think once we break through, we're going to be talking anywhere from 2750 to 2800 next week. I was on uh, CNBC this afternoon. I was on uh, Power Lunch today, and they had another strategist on with me, and he said, uh, I'm not at all uh, fearful of uh, interest rates. I'm not fearful of oil prices. I'm not fearful of anything. And I I couldn't imagine it. I I almost fell out of my chair. I said, I'm fearful of everything, of course. But uh, (laughs) interest rates, they can get wrong. They can still get that wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Pay attention to those interest rates and what the Fed's doing there. That's telling a much longer tale. But Keep in yeah. mind, too, that what Kenny and I are talking about is how markets shift and how they swing. And think about our discussions over the past couple of weeks. And then think, have the fundamentals really changed? Do you know anything differently now than you did about an inflation two weeks ago or the yield on the tenure or how the president felt about Iran or what was going on? And the answer to all of those is basically rhetorical because it's no. You've known all that information, but the market's reaction and mood is changing here. And one of the reasons we're so privileged to have Kenny Polcari on is he has been there for 38 years. He does understand it, and his gut matters. When the guy sits there, you know, it's like the old doctor. You go into the young doctor, he wants to order 15 tests. The old doctor goes, I, I know what you've got. It's, don't don't bother with the tests. I've seen this too many times. That's Polcari, uh, an old doctor. Uh, much older than I am, of course. Uh, the very handsome, talented, articulate Kenny Polcari from the New York Stock Exchange. Thank you so much, Kenny. Kenny, we're going to be back and do it again next week, brother. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mike. Bye. Stay with us right here on the Forecast. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Forecast. This portion of the Forecast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make. and We're going to work hard to keep it working for you. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Listen to that fabulous music. It's hard to keep your feet from tapping, isn't it? You just start dancing in your chair. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for being with us each and every week. You're terrific. We have the best audience in a podcast anywhere, anywhere in the whole world. Uh, I think uh, President Putin has actually said that. Boris, that's a terrific song you're playing. What is that song, Boris? Well, this is an old song uh, written in 1963. 63, Boris. By Nikita Khrushchev. Nikita Khrushchev in 63, yes. The song is called Comrade Kenny. And he said, I dedicate this to my good friend, Kenny Polcari, who has been very much like an older brother to me. Uh, much like an older brother, a comrade Kenny. What a fabulous song. Well, will that be on the greatest hits for us? Oh, most definitely. Most yes. definitely. Fabulous. That's just <laughs> comrade Kenny. All right. Uh, terrific. Uh, and by the way, uh, uh, folks, 
Um, KennyPolcari.com. I've been touting his uh, daily letter. I, it, he doesn't charge for it. It's free, and, and, and therefore I get a percentage of all sales. <laughs> so I'm incented to, uh, no, you see, it's free, and I don't get a percentage of anything. But uh, that was just for those regulators who might be listening to the show. Now, uh, uh, but KennyPolcari.com is worth doing. Matt Levingwell, back with us a week this week, uh, our senior political commentator. Hey, Matt, what's going on and where are you today? You back on Capitol Hill? Are you yeah, in the speaker's man, office doing, at this moment? I, I, am, I am in the office. Uh, I'm still working away from my clients. Oh, aren't they lucky? They are very lucky to have me. Uh, you know, if somebody really needed uh, to get into a congressman's office or to see someone on Capitol Hill because they had an issue and they didn't really know how to get in, you could help make an introduction. You could help get I them could. in. I could after, my, uh, after they fire Michael Cohen. Um, I understand <laughs> that there may be some people uh, who had been doing business with Mr. Cohen for a long time who might be looking, actually, for some representation. <laughs> Not legal representation, but you might be able to get... How, seriously, Leffingwell, how do people get in touch with you if they want uh, some representation on Capitol Hill? It's, uh, yeah, just, you just give me a call. 202-496-2108. 2108. 1 800 yes, call Leffingwell. That's right. Empire Carpets. <laughs> yes. Number, give, give me the number one more time. I didn't it's, get it. It's uh, 202 496 2108. 2108. Perfect. Yes, okay. Sir. So you need help on Capitol Hill. You call Leffingwell. Um, he's the Matt. So, uh, Matt, tell me what, what we're doing down on Capitol Hill today. We've had so many moving parts. The president pulled out of Iran yesterday. Yep. We've had primary elections all over the country. We've got Secretary Pompeo in North Korea. We're still waiting are, are they are they going to release these prisoners or not no i believe they're going to release the prisoners i think uh you know i i've never seen uh north korea more incentivized to move towards a deal why and are they suddenly so incentivized i mean have we really shut them down uh, economically that tightly I, yeah i think well not only us but the rest of the world i mean you know we've there have been multilateral sanctions for years they're just they are on they are on the edge right now economically and i think that you know finally they see that all the saber rattling is just costing them more and more money as they build up their defense arsenal their nuclear weapons piles stockpiles this is going to cost more and more and more money as the humanitarian crisis on the ground recedes you know talking to somebody at the world food program recently who who's allowed access there they compared it to uh, Afghanistan during, you know, oh, during really? the uh, time of time of the Russian uh, occupation. It's really a desperate time. No one, people are starving. Um, uh, you know, the the you know, Kim Jong Un can only hold on to control for so long in these kind of economic environment. So okay, so uh, it is. They really are at the table, and these Absolutely. and these. And, and these prisoners, they're these they're three prisoners who are about to be released, and we think that's going to happen while Secretary Pompeo is there? I, I do believe that is going to, going to happen. And how much longer is it? I mean, that's got to happen in the next, like, 24 hours, right? Yeah, it was, you know, these things take time uh, to process, especially when you're in a, you know, a, a dictatorship country like this. But I would say it's t- uh, 24 to 48 hours. I would think, you know, in a dictatorship movement. country, it would happen in, like, 30 seconds. You know, <laughs> uh, you, you know, well, well, when, when their phone lines are like ten, you know, ten cans with strings the, attached, it's hard, hard to get. Yeah, a but to, right, I mean, when the great leader says jump, I mean, doesn't doesn't the entire country kind of like feel like they've had a tremor? I mean, it, it sure I, I looks like know. everybody jumps away from those places. <laughs> yeah, that's probably wise. Okay, so uh, we've pulled out of this Iranian deal. What does that mean? Did everybody expect it? Was how much consternation was there on Capitol Hill? I, I saw that uh, Senator Cor. 
Corker was not a big fan this morning. No, I mean, I think a lot of people on Capitol Hill thought it was starting to produce, uh, you know, some results. Um, whether it be transparency or, you know, some, you know, economic, uh, like, relationships. Um, look, you know, I mean, I'm very close to several folks who have been working on the deal, uh, the commercial airline sale at Boeing currently. Um, I'm actually seeing one of them this evening, and I'm very curious to see, what, you know, what the consequences are going to be, because they had various contracts at different stages, right? And so Various what, contracts not, with whom? Boeing selling what to uh, Boeing? Boeing is, uh, selling, is Boeing selling commercial aircraft to Iran. So therefore, with the, with the cutting out this deal, I mean, what, you know, they have contracts, so what does that necessarily mean? So I think there's going to be a lot of, lot of questions that anyone who's started to do business with the Iranians are going to have, that being U.S. companies. Um, however, I mean, the Iranian economy is, is in shambles, much like the, uh, you know, much like North Korea. And, you know, again, in the past week, you've had demonstrations on the street. I mean, it, it could be a situation where either the economic situation gets so dire that there is a flip of a regime. I don't see that necessarily being imminent, but uh, it certainly could be the case. Okay, so last night in Iran, of course, there was an explosion, uh, I mean, of, of sentiment at least, and in government, and the burning of the American flag, and death to America, sure. and death to the United States, and, um, you know, all of those. I wonder if there's a tape. I was, I, you know, as I watched that, I said, I wonder if this is live. Or, you know, if they just have this on file that they can bring out. I mean, they probably don't even need to get a crowd together. Yeah. I mean, you could save, you could really save a lot of shoe leather if you just brought the tape out. (laughs) Well, you know, I think more importantly, tying it to the Korea thing, is how seriously will Korea take our negotiating if they see that we just pulled out of this deal with Iran? When that was only, you know, half baked in the sense that we, we we were starting to make progress towards our goals of getting into the deal with Iran in the first place. You think that was a kind of a holy crap moment for Kim Jong-un? I mean, you I think, think he saw yeah, that and I, went, oh, I, I, I damn think, it. I, think, I certainly think it gives, it gives a uh, leader like Kim Jong-un pause to see us pull out of a deal as significant as it was, as it was for the Obama administration with Iran as he enters into negotiations with the Trump administration. They don't want to start making concessions and then have, the, have this feeling that you know, their negotiating partner is not going to be not going to uphold their end of the deal. Our European allies seemed irritated that we pulled out of this deal. Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, uh, Obama, the Obama administration did approach the Iran deal, whether or not you like it, with with, you know, in a multilateral fashion. I mean, there were several other countries, namely EU countries that went to the negotiating table with the U.S. at that time. Multi-party but, agreement. So, yes, but uh, exactly. so are they? Why, what are they really upset about? They're, they're, I mean, are they really upset that the U.S. has said, you know, said we will do it, and now they're saying we're not going to do it, or are they just upset that like they're not selling, like Boeing might not be selling? I mean, is this a, is this more of a? I'm, I'm asking, is this a more a com- commerce issue for Europe yes, with Iran? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I mean, look, I mean, it, it takes away the leverage. I'm being I mean, cynical. Yeah, the U.S. economy or in the U.S. as a partner in this negotiation with or in this deal with Iran has a lot of weight, obviously. So if we pull out of it, I mean, the, the viability of this deal becoming successful for the, the remaining partners or the remaining signatories to the uh, arrangement with Iran, um, it, it becomes you know, more and more bleak or, or, or further weakened. So we all, you know, all us, the United States and our EU partners wanted the same outcome, and that is a denuclearized 
Iran. That, out, that outcome is, seems less and less likely now uh, you know, for the remaining signatories of the arrangement. Okay, so, uh, but the, the same sort of economic sanctions, the president said the same sort of economic sanctions that have been levied against North Korea will be levied against Iran, and things are going to get tight over there uh, yeah, if, absolutely, if, if absolutely, the U.S. has really its way. Quick. And, yep. uh, and, and given maybe perhaps his limited support from the European allies, uh, can he actually make that cinch down as tightly as it did on North Korea? You see what I'm saying? I mean, it seemed that the rest of the world finally, you know, you shoot enough missiles off and sooner or later everybody gets fed up with you, it seems to me, yep. with North Korea. Yeah. I mean, what about with Iran? Can we, will we muster, I guess, the, the, the same you know, universal blockade? Um, you know, I think that it's going to be more difficult. There are a lot of, uh, you know, other countries in, that do have long-standing economic relationships with Iran. I mean, you have to remember, North Korea just had China. I mean, North, North Korea had no other option other than China. I mean, so now, um, as things start to loosen up, I mean, the, you know, one concern for South Korea is they don't want to inherit the economic disaster of North Korea. Uh, but so they're going to make sure that they win these negotiations. They remain isolated from that fight, you know, that, the, you know, that right. mess right. that could bleed over like North and, you know, the, the, you know, East and West Germany's merger uh, back post-world, you know, back. So uh, this has to be done War. a little more delicately, huh? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But, but, but you're still not going to mess with Mr. Trump on this. I mean, he sounds rather, I mean, he, he's, he's held this line before. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I, so I, now we've yeah. got just like a minute and a half left. Tell yeah. me what happened in these elections last night. Is this good or bad for Republicans in these primaries? You know, the election, you know, primary elections are always kind of an anomaly, and I think it's a mistake to read too into the tea leaves on this. The you know the fact that Blankenship did not win the primary in West Virginia is a prom, you know promising. Uh, you have a more promising for whom. The Republicans. I mean, Promising the for the main, Republicans, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a more mainstream candidate that came out of it. You have uh, Bob Pittinger down in North Carolina. Uh, he lost, right? He lost, but that happens every single election. You have some congressman who's not not paying enough attention to his district at home, and the voters take him out. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. I think it's a mistake for um, you know de- Democrats certainly to get too uh, jubilant at this point. I mean, they've got a long way to go. They're now only up by three points on the generic ballot, whereas they were up by 16 points back in February. That is not a good sign for them. So it looks to me, so what I've been reading says, now the Republicans have a, a much, it looks more promising that the Republicans will be able to hang on to the Senate, might even add a seat or two, uh, yep. and, and dicey for the House still. Is it's, that it's still your read? It's, 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 it's exactly. I think that's exactly right. I think if, if we were going to lose, as you know, the Republicans, Republicans are going to lose significant seats in the House. I mean, that that is just the way it's going to be. But okay. um, I do think it's better for us today than it was uh, certainly, you know, several months ago in terms of keeping the majorities. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to keep up with what's going on on Wall Street or Washington, and particularly with Washington, you need to listen to Leffingwell on the Farcast <laughs> every week. Matt Leffingwell, thank you so much for joining us again this week. One. Hope we'll be back to, with you again next week. We, uh, we, we always get so much out of talking with you. We always learn so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Michael. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay with us on the Farcast. Segment three coming up. Really exciting with Christopher Cuesta is my guest, a fund manager in the microcap strategy space and what that means about the markets more broadly. We'll be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. 
This portion of the forecast is brought to you by Farr Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farr Miller and Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for being with us every week, uh, letting us uh, into your uh, ear, ear pods and cars and everywhere else. It's a great pleasure and privilege to be with you. What a terrific show we're having tonight. Kenny Polcari nailing it on the markets. Just his, his feelings uh, uh, about where markets were going. He absolutely had it right. He's told us we're at that upper end of a resistance line. If we break through, let the pigeons loose. Ladies and gentlemen, markets are going higher. Pay attention to Kenny, 38 years on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And then Matt Leffingwell from Capitol Hill, reporting from Capitol Hill tonight, talking about what's been going on with the Iran deal, what the implications are for North Korea. I mean, you don't really think, uh, I think a lot of times, how a North Korean uh, negotiation could be affected by what happens in Iran. Uh, but he was explaining it to us. He's explained to us what's happening in the elections and what he's looking for in the next week. Great, great section. My next guest, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very, very pleased and honored to welcome uh, Christopher Cuesta to the Farcast. Christopher Cuesta is the CEO of Thompson Horseman and Bryant. Now, this is a money management firm, uh, and Chris has been there for quite a while. He's been there since 2002. He's the CEO. And this is a firm that manages uh, my, uh, some, some different strategies, but small caps, micro caps, mid caps. Uh, he worked at uh, Solomon Smith Barney. He worked at Van Eck Global. Uh, he went to Fordham University, you know, which which means that that this guy was trained by the Jesuits. And, you know, I already have a prejudice for these Jesuits. Chris, I mean, trained by the Jesuit trained. How can you go wrong? Welcome to the Farcast. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's 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 great that you're here. You, you, you agree with me, right? The Jesuit training is is uh, is key. Yeah. Best educators, I'd say. Uh, I mean, agree with you. absolutely. And, and they will tell you so, which is the other great thing about the Jesuits. <laughs> uh, exactly. Listen, you're great to join us tonight. Um, we had a very good day in the markets. We've been watching a lot more volatility this year. And uh, you uh, uh, I've talked with a great guy at your firm, Doug Henderson, and, and he's explaining your strategies. Tell us about microcaps in this space and what this niche means and why investors would want to invest in these little teeny companies. Sure. No, definitely. Uh, we think it's a really exciting time to invest in microcap. Microcap, as you know, are some of the smallest companies by capitalization in the U.S. market. They've like how small? How, like so how small? That we invest in how, so how small are they? Market gap of ours. So I'd say the amount that we invest is $75 million in market, and the high end is about a billion. So and the weighted average market cap of the strategy is about $550. $550 million is the, is the size of the whole company, yes. but you'll even invest in a company that's worth $75 million? Yes, exactly. Wow. We've been okay. doing it for a long time, since, since 1982. Ladies and gentlemen, I also spoke to one of our former guests on the phone today, uh, the chairman of Sinaloy Corporation, Ron Bram, who tells me they're getting ready to be, he thinks, get included in the Russell 2000. 
to get into the Russell 2000, uh, I don't know if that's the small cap or micro cap. Uh, I think it's small cap. Uh, you have to have uh, about a market cap of somewhere north of $140 million or so. So uh, you'll even, so uh, um, Chris, you'll even go below uh, that small cap and below that $130, $140 million threshold, huh? We, we will. We will. We've been doing it for a long time. If there's good opportunities down at that cap range, we'll definitely invest in them. You know, one of the things that we uh, really feel fortunate to be able to do is we still invest in a place where there's entrepreneurs and capitalists. There's not uh, caretaker management teams. A lot of these management teams have their net worth tied up in the stock. We like that alignment. We think when there's alignment between the stock ownership of the management team and ourselves as shareholders, it tends to be good things good things that happen. Alignment, we think, is a great thing. We feel totally aligned with our clients, and we like alignment in the companies we invest in. So, it really interesting, I think, Chris, that you're aligned with your clients' interests. So you're a fiduciary, yes? A fiduciary? You, you, yes. you have to always act in your clients' best interest? Yes, of course. We, uh, you know, we, be, we believe in alignment, and uh, like I said, we own 100% of the stock of THB of the company. Uh, we don't have any outside investors in our company, and beyond that investment, we have our net worth tied up in the strategies we run for clients, and we think that's the way it should be. Well, uh, and so if the, if, the, if, 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 the assets, if the assets actually go, and when your assets increase, your fees increase, but when they decrease, you decrease, so pretty much your whole interest is tied up in making your clients' money. It's aligned. They're aligned the same way, yes? Exactly. You, you, you've nailed it. That's exactly. And that's the way it should be, we think. And that's what's missing, I think, on a lot of, at a lot of Wall Street. It doesn't have that same alignment. We believe in it. We do it. And we think it's a, it's a good thing. A lot of people will tell me that uh, uh, microcaps are much too risky. They're much too volatile. And uh, I should be very careful if I'm investing in these little teeny companies. They, they move up and down dramatically, and I might not be able to get my money out. Is that fair or not? Uh, I think that's um, something that people perceive, but it's not actually the truth. When you look at microcap companies, I think one of the more intriguing stats about it is that 60% of microcap companies, as they sit today, have no net debt at all. So really? Very, very well 60% of microcaps yeah. have no net debt? That's terrific. Really? I did not know that. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, and that number is about the same of our portfolio. So about 60% of the portfolio that we run has net debt. The debt-to-cap of our portfolio, as it sits today, is only 20%. So the total debt-to-cap of our entire portfolio is 20%. Microcap companies only have access to bank debt. And as you know, bank debt lines can be pulled. So over the years, microcap companies have learned to become self-funded. So they, they only use debt tactically, maybe to build a factory or to make an acquisition, and then they quickly pay it back down. So they're very prudently capitalized, and I think they're well run due to that alignment. You know, some of these CEOs and management teams own 20% of the shares outstanding of these companies. And when they own that amount of stocks, they tend to make uh, prudent decisions with what they do with the company. So uh, who owns microcap stocks and who would be an investor, you know, in a microcap strategy with you guys? I mean, would Fred and Ethel, you know, be putting some of their, uh, you know, IRA in, in there? Or is this more institutions? For whom is this appropriate? No, we, we have a, a good mix of clients. So we have, I'd say, 40 percent of our clients is, is high net worth. Uh, 20% would be endowments, and the balance would be the larger institutions, pension plans. Uh, we do get a lot of high net worth interest in our strategies, uh, in our microcap strategy, for the, for the sheer reason that a lot of uh, wealth in this country was created by running and maybe monetizing a small business. So some of those entrepreneurs, once they've moved on in their life and, and maybe sold their business, they have an affinity for what we do in terms of these are the size companies that we're investing in. It's a simple, straightforward, common-sense approach. I think they understand what we're doing. They're fairly capitalistic and entrepreneurial themselves, 
So they have a connection with the type of companies we're investing in, and I think they understand that our common sense, simple approach is a good way to invest. Okay, would you you give us? uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball at you because I didn't tell you I was gonna do this. Let me apologize ahead of time. I'll let you think about it for a minute. I want to know just want a cool company, an example of a cool microcap company, the kind of story that you that you that you may own right now. Uh, that you that, that would sure. be typical of a of a microcap that has earnings that's something maybe our listeners can understand. Sure, definitely. I'll give you a real easy one that uh, most uh, listeners should be able to connect to. So we own a company called Par Corporation. Say it again. What, what is it called? Does Par Corporation? Par Corporation. Yes. Yes. And what they do is they make point of sale systems, and their biggest client is McDonald's. So anytime you go into McDonald's and that uh, that person he or she punches in your order, they're putting their finger on a Par technology uh, machine. And over the years, it's been a very good business, but fairly lumpy because of the upgrade cycle that can happen. And what Park uh, Corporation is doing right now is they're transitioning to a software-as-a-service model, a SaaS model. And so instead of just selling McDonald's these hardware machines, they're going to sell them software and real-time data out of the cloud. And that's a massive uptick in their business, both from a margin and a revenue potential. And you're seeing more and more companies do the same thing. KFC is following. And, and so we're really excited about that because we're going to see a, a huge lift in margins, a huge lift in revenue. And what they're also doing is, as you know, food safety is, is a big problem right, in the world right. today, whether it be E. coli outbreaks. And what they're using is their point-of-sale technology. And what they're going to use it for is food safety. And so instead of having a clerk at a, at a store, at a food store or at a fast food restaurant, go around with a clipboard and take the temperature of the meat and write down what it was in the time, right. they're going to have a real-time point-of-sale system where they can actually track it and know exactly where that, that, that meat was, what restaurant it was in, and what the temperature was. So if there is an outbreak, they can quickly, in a real-time way, go back and isolate it. Very so cool. So it adds right to now, quality. It adds to safety. It's going to add to margins. It's using the cloud. Is I like that. That's a terrific. I'm going to take a look at PAR. Uh, that's a really cool idea. I know that we're running out of time here. Uh, how about that volatility issue? We've had a fairly volatile first four months so far in 2018. How right. has that How has that uh, microcap space behaved? As volatile, more volatile? I mean, it, it would, I would expect more volatility. Has it been? Uh, actually not. We're having a, a great year this year. I think what microcap affords investors is to get out of the turbulence provided by ETFs. We have almost no ETF impact on the stocks that we're investing in, whereas a, your average large cap stock on any given day has 25% of its trading volume influenced by ETFs. Ours is zero. So year to date, we're up about 7.5%, and I think uh, the S&P is down about 50 basis points. So we're starting to see investors right now realize that Large caps had a, had a good run here, and then it might be time to start reallocating down cap, and we're getting a lot of inbound interest in the strategies we run because we feel that you're somewhat insulated from some of the, the valuation and ETF uh, issues that may be creeping into large cap, especially the S&P 500. Chris Cuesta, you are a fabulous guest. I can't thank you enough. This is really, I've learned something. I always learn things here on the Farcast. You actually have a mutual fund, don't, don't you? What's the uh, symbol on that mutual fund? Sure. The uh, mutual fund is uh, THBIX. So Tom Harry Boy Indian X-ray is the ticker. I'm going to take a look at that too. THBIX. Christopher Cuesta, thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. You're awesome. We appreciate it. And I hope you'll come back sometime. This has been great. Great. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much again this week for joining us on the Farcast. Remember that if you think you've heard any recommendation to buy or sell a security, uh, you haven't. If you think you're going to should make a change to your portfolio or buy small caps or do anything in micro caps or do anything that Kenny Polcari may have suggested, please don't. Don't do any of that stuff without checking with 
with your financial advisor, a financial professional, uh, and that uh, emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If we can help you at Farr Miller in Washington, we would be delighted to do that. Uh, you can give us a call. At, we're at uh, farmiller.com, F-A-R-R-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. Once again, we'll be back next week in Washington, D.C. for the Farcast. Thanking you so very much. I'm Michael Farr.